It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're extremely excited to, to talk to our cheerful person this week. I am excited because... He's just this beloved poet, writer, performer, broadcaster who has written an extraordinary memoir of his his battle and recovery from COVID. It's called Many Different Kinds of Love. I think, Ed, you are excited because of just how much credibility this is going to give you with your sons. Definitely. He's not just Michael Rosen. He's a meme. I'm going to try and do it, and I'll do it badly, but, but nice. That's the basic punchline to the meme. We'll, we'll get the critique from Michael. Yeah. Uh, hello, by the way, yeah. Michael. Uh, hello, yes. I'm, I'm feeling very nice. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you a man or a meme at this point? Um, I, that's a difficult one. Um, I'm not quite sure. Man or meme? It, it reminds me of, sort of 1950s adverts. Um, yeah, I think I'm probably a man, but some in many places it does seem as if I am a meme. Uh, in posh language, a simulacrum. <laughs> in, in in terms of, because I think people with ch- children are, are, are very aware of of your work. Has being a meme affected your ability to move through the world? Do you move through the world in a different way now because you are a meme? Um, yes, in a way, uh, people do stop me in the street or indeed cabbies. Um, I think the way I've said this word, and it's on a poem of mine on uh, the YouTube channel that my son runs uh, with my poems and stories, and the way I say this word, nice, to the American ear um, sounds like noise. So they write it out as N-O-I-C-E. You know, they think that a sort of London speech is a bit like Australian speech, and um, it tickles them. So they created this meme of me saying nice as part of my poem. And uh, it's caught on, and it seems to particularly tickle the fancy of boys aged between, I'd say, 8 and 16, 
Absolutely wrong. Yes, it seems to be some ten and eleven. Yes, and and what always surprises me is is these quite looming large teenagers coming up to me with their phones and presumably full their phones full of the most groovy, sensational, up to the minute people that I've not heard of. My son, who is sixteen, tells me about somebody called Weekend, and he doesn't spell it with an e, which you know I love. You know, he's weekend, but he's Weekend, and he says, "Listen to this, Dad," and it is. It's fantastic. It's wonderful stuff. And I'm there alongside Weekend and somebody called Getz, I think, um, another <laughs> unbelievably groovy grime artist. And uh, you see, I'm using the word groovy from my time in the 60s. And um, he plays me this. And then there's these people, they hold up their things and say, just say nice. And they, they, they walk away from me, sort of weeping with delight that they've captured me in the street. <laughs> It hasn't happened since I've been ill, let it be said. So um, maybe they don't quite recognise me as much. But who knows? Yes, it might. It might be a, a new treat for me when I travel on buses again. And in terms of um, how how life has been during your recovery, I'm quite struck by you know when people are pleased to see you, your response being, "Well, I'm not dead." How, how do people deal with it? Does that make people? Does it does it release the tension or does it add to the tension? Um, people seem to be, they agree that I'm not, but well, that helps. Um, <laughs> you know, they're not arguing with me and saying, I think you are. Um, there might have been other times in history where people might have said that you, you are dead, you know, but part of the charm and wonder of Shakespeare plays is that when ghosts appear on stage, the point was that people did believe that they were there, you know, when Hamlet's ghost appears, I am my father, you know, all that stuff. Uh, Hamlet's, not Hamlet's ghost, Hamlet's father's ghost. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, it's also partly a reassurance to myself. I think, uh, when I say to myself, I'm not dead, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I just sort of, you know, feel my shoulder or feel my face and kind of go, yes, that's right. I'm not. So it's, it's lovely to see people's face saying, Hey, it's you and their surprise. And then I'm sort of reassuring myself and perhaps them that it is me. Yes. It's an incredibly moving book. Uh, I, I was weeping um, a lot while reading it. What, what, tell us what prompted you to to write the I mean, obviously, COVID and your experience prompted you to write it. But why did you feel you wanted to write or, to write it down, the experience you'd been through? And the, the very short answer to that, Ed, is that I'm a writer. So if you're a writer and you quite often do write about your personal experience and not purely, let's say, imaginary imaginary and fictional things, is that writing is a sort of reflex. It's kind of something happens that matters and you feel you have to write it. I mean, I always tell children if I'm in schools, it's a bit like when you've got an itch and you scratch it and you have to scratch it. So that's what it feels like to me. Well, when I was in hospital for all that time, about three months, either couldn't write physically or I didn't want to write or I couldn't even think that there was so much going on, I couldn't write about it. Because the funny thing about writing is you sort of distill things down to word by word, picture by picture, sentence by sentence. And if there's a lot of stuff coming at you, you can't distill it down. And anyway, one of the, the kind of consequences of COVID is that you get this sort of COVID fog thing where you can't distill things down anyway, just walking about in life. So... When I came home and I started to try and figure out what had happened and how it had happened and why it had happened, then my first reflex then in that mood was, oh, well, let's, let's, let's write this down. 
So I had sort of three ways to write it down. One was scribbling notes on my phone in the little memo pad on the phone. Another one was just the old way, paper and pen. And then the third way, get rushing over to the computer and bashing it out on there. So um, that's a relief as well. It's a, it, it feels like, right, I've expressed that, that thing that was bothering me, that, that moment when I was in hospital and, and I didn't know what was going on and the nurse was standing at the end of the bed. I've captured that. I've, I've sorted that. So it's almost like taking a photograph and feeling pleased you've taken a photograph. That's what it feels a bit like. Have you written about illness before? Uh, I've written about, yes, I've written about my son's illness. I had a son who died, Eddie, so I wrote about him. He had meningitis. And I've written about being in hospital. I did a memoir called So They Call You Pisha. Um, that's what the memoir's called. Um, and in there I wrote about how I was in hospital for about 10 weeks uh, after I'd um, broken my pelvis. Well, I didn't, a car did, but it's quite difficult to break your own pelvis, I think. Um, so a car... Uh, broke my pelvis and I was in hospital for about 10 weeks and one of the chapters in that book is about that spell in hospital too. And and in terms of I guess that period of your life then and the recovery and, and re-entry and just re-familiarizing yourself with you, your body and, and, and how it works and living in it, how, how similar was or wasn't it? That's a, an interesting problem actually. Um, how similar was it? Well in some ways of course all sp- all spells in hospital are similar because you have the similar kind of confinement. Because I'd broken my pelvis, I was immobilized. And one of the uh, consequences of, of COVID, this COVID, was that I was immobilized. So that did, there was a bit of an echo there. In fact, yeah, I, I, I could write about that. Thanks. That's a nice little, mm, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, the point is when they asked me to, well, <laughs> to start off with, just to stand up. It was physically and mentally totally, it was impossible. Um, and that was probably less a result of the COVID and more a result of just being in intensive care for 48 days because they knock you out and you're immobilized, or I was, for 48 days. So the body goes, right, let's not bother doing that muscle thing. Let's decondition him, I believe is the technical word. And so you basically sort of turn to jelly. So my legs shrank into twigs and all this thing, you know, you hear trainers talking about your core. You've got to do your core. You've got to do the plank. You've got to do the bridge. You've got to get your abs, all that stuff. Well, that's just jelly, you know. So when you try and sort of lever your body up, it doesn't respond. As I said, it feels like cardboard filled with porridge. Yeah. That's, that's all it feels like, sort of damp cardboard. And when you ask the muscle to do something, it goes... No, thank you. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't do muscles. No, we don't do that contracty thing anymore. So uh, a moment like that, that reminded me, in fact, quite often that because I broke my pelvis and um, this was way back when I was 17 um, and I couldn't walk. I remember then the, <laughs> the, the, the ward, I don't know what you call them, it's a male, the ward brother. Anyway, the, 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 the matron, the male matron telling me to get out of bed after about eight or nine weeks. And I just sort of fell on the floor, I think. That right. was a long time ago. The thing that I I said that I was weeping at the book, and the thing that really moved me the most was the messages yes. from the people looking after you. Um, I mean, that's the thing that really got me. Um, and the book is called Many Different Kinds of Love. I mean, 
I, I think what's sort of really well, talk to us about those messages. I, I wondered how those messages came about and just then how that relates to the title, I suppose. So when you're in intensive care, you are essentially dead to the world. You're unconscious. You've been put into an induced coma. And in normal conditions, as opposed to COVID, a nurse is, is always there by your bed in case there's an emergency. And of course, they're also dealing with your bodily functions. In traditionally, uh, in an ICU ward, it's one nurse to one patient. By the time I was there and in this in the ward in the Whittington Hospital in North London, there uh, it was one nurse to three beds, four beds, five. Sometimes it was a, a ward that had um, it was due for eleven had room for eleven patients and was up to twenty four. I think at the time I was there. So this nurse and nurses who are doing this work. One of the things that they're advised to do, because it's so traumatic coming out of intensive care, is to keep what they call a patient diary. And so they basically write you a letter every morning after coming off the night shift saying how you were, how you are. And so we've put these in the book. These are the messages from from the nurses. And so what they're saying is, you know, well, this night we needed to uh, deal with your secretions. That's, you know, that gunk oh, that goes in your lungs. Yeah. And it's thought, I mean, there's a rationale behind it. It's not just for fun, that it's so traumatic for many of us to come out of this situation that we can't make sense of it. And there is a way in which we never do because I've lost April and May of 2020. It doesn't exist. So it only exists in the eyes and ears of other people who looked at me, the doctors and the nurses, not even Emma, my wife, saw me. I think they held up phones so that they could see me. My daughter, I've described it in one of them, she looked at me and it was horrible because you're lying there with your kind of mouth open and your eyes unseeing and they talked to me and I didn't respond. So it's, it, it becomes traumatic. And so in order to help us with the trauma of this this. This, this weird event, then they give us this patient diary when we leave. And I've got it, and it's a treasure. And sometimes I don't dare look at it, to be quite honest, because it's so... Well, it, it reminds me of the fact that people waited for me to be alive. And when it's my family, it does it. I'm thinking about it now. It just it upsets me to think that they sat here night after night, day after day, not knowing what would happen to me, and they couldn't come and see me because of the COVID restrictions. And the nurses devoting such care and attention, the kind that only parents do, really, when you think about it. As parents, we know our kid's ill. Quick, let's give them some give some paracetamol. Let's mop their brow. You know, Let's stay up with them all night in case the fever gets worse. And they did that for me, these complete strangers. You know, we have the phrase, kindness of strangers, but it, it's, it's beyond that. It's devotion. It's love it's it's duty it's it's all these things it's professional it's using their knowledge and their compassion i mean it's just so powerful and you know to think that the government wants to you know want them to be grateful for one percent it just makes me so angry i just can't believe it i mean i've been on the receiving end of such care uh that has, of course saved my life but much more than that um and I, you know, I find I do genuinely find that quite difficult to find the words to describe how I feel about that. 
Can I ask you about this element of it that's specific to you because of your work in that often these notes would, would mention your work and how important had it had been to those people who were looking after you. And I was just thinking, you you were somebody who I'm sure is accustomed to parents and children saying those things to you. And there is a sort of symbiosis in that, in, in that they are the people who are buying your books, but it's very different when they're the the people who are also keeping you alive. I th- thought that was, you know, th- that must have been quite an overwhelming thing to realise in terms of the difference you've made in their lives, but also the the fact that they're, they're making that difference in your life and that your ability exists depends on them. Yes, that that was a tough read too. Uh, yes, indeed. If somebody in one of the letters says, um, oh, I was singing, we're going on a bear hunt with our children last night, because they, they're, they're telling the story in the present in that way, last night, and now here's you, the person who helped make that book sort of thing. And, um, and people thanking me for writing my books. Well, I mean, I, if, if you're a writer of any kind, I mean, it's a very odd profession. The nearest thing, I think, is sometimes it's acting, that, that you you want the affirmation. I mean, that's that's partly why you're in it. You want people to engage with what you write and how you write and why you write. And if you write for very young children, the delight, if you see delight on their faces or they're joining in with poems and stories and songs and things, I mean, that's that's a huge reward for what you do. But then at this moment when I'm, you know, on the verge of dying and people are saying, oh, you know, we we love your stuff in my house, in our home, and I read your poems to, to, to my kids and so on. It's like one step beyond that because they're returning that affection. Or it's not even affection, are they? They're re- well, they're, they're providing a, a, a life-saving affection for what, in a sense, they're not for that, but for me... Uh, having entertained their children. They're not doing mm. it for that because they don't know who I was until they walked in there. Um, and then it, I, it happens to be me lying there next to somebody that maybe they don't know what they do in their life. Who are also going to be reading these notes when, when they come out of ITU. The, you know, the content will obviously be different, but I'm sure it's, you know, it, 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 uh, equally moving and, you know, humbling. I hope I hope so. I mean, obviously, I hope that there were as many people who were in the ward uh, were getting these patient diaries as well. Um, you know, it's it's a, they write in. It's like a, it's lovely because it's like a sort of school notebook, a little spiral bound school notebook with cardboard covers, and it just says patient diary on the front, and um, it's lined lined paper. You know, so it looks like an exercise book, and they just write one page or less than one page. But I mean, every word. Is is a gem. Is it's a jewel, really, because it's a it's a caring thing to even to write it, to record it, because otherwise it's gone, isn't it? It's complete. It's, just, it's, it's sort of giving you some of your life back that you've lost because yes. you're not aware of what's happening. That's it, exactly. Yeah, it's an account. This book of 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 the sort of both the the the, the darkest times for you, and then the process of recovery. I mean, the process of recovery has been obviously really hard hasn't it yeah it's it's not easy because i mean if you start from a situation in which you cannot even stand up without three people holding you and then you arrive at a point i think about five weeks later where you can actually walk out of the hospital that's like a huge thing because well the the way i I dealt with it 
um, was actually not very helpful to myself because at each stage I would think that was the end, that was the point I'd reached. I think I've written about it. So I'd sort of go, oh, right, oh, I'm a Zimmer frame person. Oh, right, okay, I've seen people in Zimmer frames. And then the next bit would be, oh, they put me in a wheelchair. That's great. You can zoom around the ward in the wheelchair, look out the window. Look, there's somebody there watering their flowers in St. Pancras. That's lovely. And then um, when I when they gave me a stick, which I called Sticky McStick Stick, I just, that's amazing. I'm a walking stick person. And, and I kind of went on thinking in these terms. There was one bit where I remembered the fact that uh, my friend Chris Kaufman that his mum used to live on one floor, his grandmother, sorry, lived on one floor in the house. She, and I thought, oh, well, that's what I could do when I get home. And then I remind myself, yeah, well, she was 90. I'm 73, you know. And so I had to kind of remind myself that there was further to go. And here we are, you know, in March. Um, and I came out of hospital in um, <laughs> the end of June, struggling to remember, um, in the end of June. And every day there are still things that I know I'm doing or thinking entirely because of that that three months in hospital and having the illness. So, you know, if it's my toes that um, aren't working because they're numb and got affected by the virus, or it's my left eye, which is fogged, can't really see properly. I can hardly see you guys on the Zoom here. Uh, my left ear doesn't work, um, though technically there's a tiny narrow band of megahertz, of course that excites you, um, tiny narrow band of megahertz <laughs> that um, I can hear if a, if a woman's voice shouted out 99 quite loudly, I'd hear that quite clearly. But if I said 99, it is absolutely. But if a bloke came up to me and went, 99 i wouldn't hear that anyway, well that that's... has scuppered your uh, potential career as an ice cream man then it is ruined um and uh, uh so i'm having to deal with those and sort of physically I'd, i've i've talked about that in the book i have what i call alternate day syndrome you know that i i'm kind of quite active one day and then i pay for it the next and uh, when i look at the kind of long covid threads on on, on social media i can see this applies to nearly all of us that if you th- think, you know, your body is going to forgive you for, I don't know, d- running around the block or something, it doesn't. It just says, not today, pal. You're not doing that today. Can I ask you about a sense I got from the book? Um, and and what, what, what I'm going to ask you about is is how it's shaped the way that you think about the, the way the government and the country has responded to COVID. But what was – there were just so many extraordinary things about it, but but one of them for me – was seeing it again unfold in real time. So it's, it's, it's your illness and your experience and, and your recovery unfolding in real time, but also the story of how the, the pandemic did the same. And I got this sense, be, for, for those of us who you know didn't lose that time that you've lost, you become a bit desensitised because of the increments but and I know this is a silly analogy, but it's for you. It's like you missed all these episodes of the the soap opera and then came back in, and it gave you almost more clarity in the way you saw it. I felt it meant that you were more angry, and having had that experience of had the the illness, I, th- I think that also fuels this anger about the the way in which the the country and and people have responded to it. Yes. Well, in fact, there was a, a little bit of anger, even when I was ill and didn't know it. That's to say, 
I mean, it's exactly right now. So if you think back to the middle of March, people, or early March, people were talking about the fact that this was an illness that was really only serious for old people. So only old people would die, and people with underlying health problems, as if this was sort of people who were sort of nearly dead anyway. And so I saw a frightening division going on, that somehow or other the able-bodied, as they saw themselves, were looking at people over the age of 70 and with various kinds of illness from asthma to, uh, well, you know, mild cat, I don't know, all sorts of illnesses. But anyway, and were seeing it as only affecting them. So there was no need for us to get in a panic about, you know, what is this expendability of older people? I mean, am I frightened by it? Well, in a way, yes. We cannot live as a society that has that in its consciousness, it cannot live together as people vertically, you know, babies and grandparents and great-grandparents, uncles, aunts. We can't live together with those kinds of attitudes. It, it's, it's hell. That is hell to be there. Well, look, Michael, we're so, so happy that you are here and, um, you know, have written this extraordinarily moving and, and important uh, memoir um and we hope you continue to recover have have fewer alternate days uh and 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 more days when you feel you know 100% um but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on um and just and just before you go i wonder whether you might do your party trick for my children daniel and sam yes um well look hi daniel hi sam um so you know dad's been talking to michael raisin rosen sorry uh, <laughs> I, I get obsessed with raisins sorry they appear in the book as sultanas and the, the raisins don't mind but we've moved on now to to me saying nice um because i'm eating hot potatoes a lot of food going on here isn't there so here we are for you dan and sam so i only put a little bit on my fork and i blow <whistles> till it's cool just cool into the mouth <whistles> nice perfect michael rosen um people should go out and buy your book thank you so much for joining us thanks very much for that that was lovely this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.